The year is 1990, and a killer is on the loose in Gainesville, Florida. A man who would murder five, all students. Without smartphones, the only information came through newspapers, TV, and radio. Over the span of four days, panic gripped the city and University of Florida. This is Four Days, Five Murders, and I'm Camille Respis. The man responsible for the nightmare is often remembered. And the victims' names? Krista Lee Hoyt, Sonia Jane Larson, Tracy Inez Paulus, Christina Patricia Powell, and Manuel Ricardo Taboada. Are painted on a memorial. Many pass by daily without knowing why it's there. Throughout this podcast, we will rarely mention the name Danny Rowling. But no matter what we do, his presence hangs like a specter over this project. In the coming episodes, we explore the trauma a moment in time can have on people and places, and how long a tragedy like this stays in a place like Gainesville. It was the fall of 1990 at the University of Florida. Students were moving to Gainesville at the end of their summer break, eager to start a new semester. Fall is a semester of dreams. It's, uh, I say it's the, the semester where you believe that you're going to get a 4.0 uh, grade point average. The football team's going to win the national title. You're going to you know, find the love of your dreams. That's what fall is. It's a college campus like Florida. It's a re-beginning. Uh, we had Steve Spurrier coming in as the head ball coach, as you call it, and a lot of enthusiasm behind that. We had a, a new president, John Lombardi, who'd been in office for about five months. Mike Brown, a business student at UF, was filled with nothing but aspiration for the new school year. That's what fall is. A lot of firsts were in store for the fall of 1990. Brown was starting his first semester as student body president. Former Heisman winner Steve Spurrier was preparing to coach his first game at his alma mater. And despite being named president earlier in the year, it was John Lombardi's first semester officially in the role. Everybody showed up for the start of classes. Everybody was in the normal sort of enthusiastic mode that we all are when we start a new semester. And then uh, tragedy hit. And, uh, and so immediately the campus uh, went into sort of an emergency mode. We're about as prepared as we could be other than leaving town. Many haven't left town, but an arrest soon would pacify this anxious, nervous community. Two University of Florida freshmen, Sonia Larson and Christy Powell, were murdered in their Gainesville apartment the weekend before fall classes started. Chris Morris was a senior at the time. I was a student. I was working on two degrees, one in speech and one in history. Uh, At the time, the campus was being rocked by the murders that had happened of the five students at the university and the rather grotesque manner in which they happened. I'm Yvette Carter. I uh, began as a student at University of Florida in fall 1990. I um, became connected with the Blue and White organization and became a little sister of Phi Beta Sigma pretty early on. And I do remember the brothers telling us, like, don't walk anywhere by yourself. If you want to get somewhere, have someone walk with you. I lived in Jennings Hall and right across the way from me was Beatty Towers and there were a good group of Sigmas that lived over there or either hung out over there. 
that we could call that would, would, would walk us wherever we needed to go. Mike Brown says you have to remember it was a different time than today. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have cell phones. I didn't even have a working phone number. I lived in my fraternity house, and I found out early Monday morning from the editor of The Alligator, who was passing out emergency or, or one-pagers on what had happened on Sunday. The body of Krista Hoyt, a Santa Fe College student who was brutally murdered in her apartment, was discovered on that Sunday. I immediately was on my way to my first class of the year and immediately went to Tiger Hall where the administration was. And you know, obviously at that point, you know, start to understand more what, what, what happened and what's going on. At this point, on the first day of classes at UF, three students in Gainesville had been murdered. The killer was unknown, and when they would be stopped was also a mystery. We had lost three students, and so there was a thought that this could be not just a one-off. This could be, you know, potentially a serial killer. It could be, we didn't know, you know, for sure if they were related. They were all female. And so on Monday, the the safety message was, you know, hey, stay in groups. You know, if you want to stay at your boyfriend's house, I mean, I remember going to sorority houses. Uh, you know, as part of the, you know, going around everyone, make sure, you, you know, you call home if you can and all the things that we did and we asked people to do. But Monday really was really about young women. And then, of course, on Tuesday, that all changed. At 8.30 on that Tuesday morning, the bodies of a fourth female, Tracy Paulus, and a male, Manny Tabuada, were discovered inside a unit at Gatorwood Apartments. Tuesday, it was you know, obviously safety and, and all those things and, and what the university could provide and what we expected students and community members to do, and, and we knew they would, and, and some help, offering some help. There was a tremendous amount of fear. By now, five college students had been murdered in Gainesville in the span of less than one week. Gainesville, a quiet college town, was now a serial killer's playground, and President Lombardi had over 35,000 students to keep safe. Lots of adults told me, oh, they're crazy, they're going to they're gonna freak out, they're going to be, uh, you know, hysterically afraid. But actually, the students were not hysterically afraid. They were calm, concerned, careful, and paid attention, asked good questions. And so I think one of the takeaways from that experience was a, a heightened respect for the quality of, of the student response under significant pressure. and. And, and risk. And, and so that impression carried over meeting after meeting and, and, and student group after student group. So I guess proud is the right way to put it. I was proud of the student reaction because um, I hadn't anticipated that it would be so sensible and so wise. And so when presented with a variety of, uh, of options of what to do, uh, students made reasonable choices based on their personal circumstances and, and did what they thought was appropriate. But Panic was not among the responses. We, we, didn't, we didn't get panic. And uh, we had a lot of out-of-town, uh, out-of-Florida, mostly news people, because, of course, it was a big uh, news story. A week ago today, Gainesville officials were celebrating a new Money Magazine survey ranking the city as the 13th most livable city in the nation. With the eyes of the nation now on Gainesville's string of murders, that celebration seems very long ago. And so we had cameras and camera trucks and TV trucks and people running around with microphones in everybody's faces. And um, uh, I, I can't say that we were proud of them. <laughs> Be
because they seemed to be in search of ways of promoting hysteria. So they would come up to students and stick a microphone and a, and a camera in their face and say, aren't you terrified? And the students say, no, we're concerned. Looking back, Brown remembers media trucks from all over descending on the campus. I got my first phone call from Houston Chronicle or something. I said, oh, this is kind of interesting to have someone from Houston want to talk to, you know, a student here. And cut off the phone and Linda, who was the admin for student government, knocked my window again and said, hey, now it's the Wisconsin such. And so it didn't stop. And so the media was everywhere. But we knew that this was the only way that we could get out to people in Fort Lauderdale and Tampa and, you know, Jacksonville, to all the students, particularly the ones who went home, and to their parents. We take for granted the ability to call our loved ones anytime we want on cell phones that are always with us. In 1990, that luxury was not afforded. This is before cell phones, so folks didn't have their phones set up. So the uh, Alumni Association helped us out and, and allowed folks to call long distance. Back then, that cost a lot of money to call your mom in Miami. The folks weren't feeling as safe off campus. And so the university, we opened the um, residence hall lounges with cots and things like that if somebody wanted to sleep there instead because, you know, all the security that we were putting in the residence halls. The director of housing at the University of Florida, James Grimm, enlisted the help of campus police to increase safety measures in residence halls to accommodate for more students, which he spoke about in press conferences in 1990. We are providing temporary housing for a number of students on campus. We've averaged about 30 to 35 students each night. We have about 250 bed spaces for both men and women in floor lounges. Uh, four and six students uh, assigned to each lounge. At this point, Brown says school and classes fell down the list of priorities. And door skipping classes, you know, you, you can't be worried about, you know, I said, hey, there's no, don't worry about grades September if there's no safety in September, go home. And it was Labor Day weekend, so classes were already canceled for the upcoming Monday. Lombardi remembers that a lot of students ended up leaving campus that weekend. Our responsibility was to try and make sure that the campus was as safe as possible, try to make sure that the students were as supported as it was possible to make it be. And, and key at the beginning was to make sure everybody uh, had a choice to make so that nobody felt trapped. I think that's one of the first things that happens when a crisis like this comes is if people uh, feel trapped, they say, well, what should I do? Uh, where can I go? And so we, because it was uh, Labor Day weekend, uh, we had some time uh, to help students figure out what they wanted to do. And so right at the beginning, uh, the students, many of them uh, decided they would go home for the long weekend. After a week without any additional murders, Brown, the student body president, made a public ask to his classmates to come back to Gainesville. University of Florida students, I look forward to seeing you come back after the long Labor Day weekend. We have made it through what was quite possibly the most difficult week in our university's history. Although no new tragedies have happened, over the last five days, and even though the police seem to be getting good leads, we must continue our commitment to safety for ourselves and for our peers. We must continue giving rides to those in need. We must continue using the security measures prescribed by the police and the university. And we must continue to be a loving, caring community. At some point, it's like, hey, it's, it's time to come home to a safe campus. And so uh, that was a role that you know, I played in that piece and it had been several days, uh, you know, and so we couldn't 
go on for six months, 12 months and not have a university. And, and more important than that, um, that folks couldn't get their education if they wanted to come back. Now, some students didn't come back and that was everyone's you know, individual choice. And for those who did, there was a time to say, hey, we're, we, we want to get kind of all of us back into a sense of normalcy here, a very safe one, uh, you know, here, you know, all the things, but it's okay, it's okay to come back here. President Lombardi reassured students that it was safe for them to return to campus and continue their semester. The services that we instituted during the days prior to the Labor Day weekend will continue so long as the official police investigation of these cases continues in effect. And classes at the University of Florida will begin as scheduled Tuesday morning, September 4th, 1990. With the support of our students, our faculty, the staff, the police, the community, and the state of Florida, the University of Florida will be in full operation this week. However, the university's normal operations were thrown into disarray, and it wasn't just due dates that changed on campus. Priorities of safety were changing, too. And Brown implored his fellow students to prioritize their safety. I challenge each U.S. student coming back, regardless of race, sex, location, or age, to stick together, use the buddy system, and remain a close-knit community. And because of the enormous strength that our university and you, the student body, have shown throughout the last few days, I'm very confident we'll do that. I was walking back from my office to the what was then the president's house. President Lombardi was walking by himself. And this car went zipping by uh, with, with three students, three women students in it, and it came to a screeching halt about you know 50 yards ahead and backed up. And they rolled down a window and they said, "You told us two. You have to walk in two." And I said, "Well, yeah." I said, "But I'm just going home." No, they said, "You get in the car and I'll take you." And so they did. And there was a heightened understanding that. We did have to look out for each other. The memories from President Lombardi's perspective of the fall of 1990 are now archives that are housed in a box in Smathers Library at the University of Florida. Box 116 of his presidential archives is labeled Tragedies. It's uh, the documentation that John Lombardi, President John Lombardi, received uh, during the course of the murders. So it's called tragedies, but it's, it's with the communications that he had with students, but also with other people. Other presidents sent him letters you know, expressing you know, their, their horror at what was happening in Gainesville and, and their best wishes. Carl Van Ness is a historian at the university. He showed me this tragedies box over Zoom in June. These particular records are under the heading of uh, student affairs. So these were all the records related to student matters during his administration. And there are various headings related to some, you know, rather mundane things like tuition, counseling, the usual thing that you would find uh, related to students. There's records related to uh, student government. And then there are records related uh, to the tragedy. This is uh, Lombardi's response to a parent who's uh, expressed uh, some concerns. Uh, this is a handwritten letter. Today, of course, it's all email, but this is still 1990 and people are still writing letters. So it's a handwritten letter from uh, a parent in Bradenton and uh, again, John Lombardi's response. And he had to respond to hundreds of letters just like this one. So apparently this particular parent had written an earlier letter. So this is a response to a response and she writes, I appreciate your letters of reassurance, security, help, 
and a caring concern for my son and all at the university. And uh, she's very upset at uh, what is going on. And he writes back, the difficulties the university has experienced in the last few weeks have brought us all to a realization of how much we depend on one another for support. The precautions you mentioned are in place. Notices warn students not to walk alone, and there is a service available on campus to walk with students at night. Our faculty is sensitive to the problem and they are trying to ensure the safety of their class numbers. And what does a box like this one, you know, tragedies symbolize for the university? Well, it indicates that this is a very difficult period in our history. Thank you very much for joining us here today at a memorial for Krista Lee Hoyt, Sonia Jane Larson, Tracy Inez Paulus, Christina Patricia Powell, and Manuel Ricardo Taboada. This is Lombardi speaking at a university-wide memorial service held in UF's Stephen O'Connell Center. None of us in this small and connected and open community that is Gainesville, Alachua County, Santa Fe Community College, and the University of Florida can escape the direct personal and immediate impact of this tragedy. While we may recognize that similar tragedies have occurred elsewhere in communities large and small, these five outstanding people were ours. They belonged to us, and we must accept the pain of their loss. In the past week or so, all of us have struggled with these emotions. We have tried to understand what has happened to us through the deaths of our five colleagues and friends, and we have attempted to assess the impact on our community. We have struggled with the conflicting emotions of grief, anger, and fear. We have tried to put these emotions into perspective, and we have considered how we can continue. No one had to ask. Instead, unbidden, all came together to offer what they had to help. Such a response reaffirms our belief in the substance of our lives. It provides us with the strength to conquer our fears and it blunts the force of our anger. It offers us the solace to begin healing the wounds of sorrow and pain. We cannot remove the grief and sorrow, nor can we restore the loss but we can commit ourselves to fulfilling their dreams in ours so that the accomplishments and promise of their lives can be continued. Student body president Mike Brown also spoke at the campus memorial. Right now our community suffers from the tragedy of losing five members who took the time to love, who took the time to serve others. We must somehow try to fill that void. For the students at the University of Florida, I give our greatest sympathy, our prayers, our support to family and friends. Yet, we must also show great pride in saying that Sonia, Christina, Manny, Tracy, and Krista will be Florida Gators forever. The University of Florida honored these five victims through a scholarship fund. This university community today establishes the 1990 Student Scholarship Fund in their memory, and we do this so that the enduring memory of these students survives to support 
and nurture in others their commitment to education and to life. And created a memorial on campus by planting five trees in remembrance of the victims, something Brown says he was proud to be a part of. The um, mortar board planted five trees just outside the business school. And uh, that one was really um, special because of just the, the fact that you're bringing up five trees and, you know, to come back. And, and I hadn't looked at it in a while and to come back, and maybe it's five years ago, and see how big and beautiful and grown they were. It, it's, it's very emotional uh, to think about that because I think of the families and I think of um, the students and everything else. And that, to me, that one is always... Uh, I remember we were we planted the trees, and um, you know at the time, and and, and you, you do those things because you 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 want to express how you feel. And I was honored to be one of the people with a shovel, and um, but it didn't hit me until maybe coming back and seeing it really hit me. And at the same time, Brown and his fellow classmates were trying to return to a sense of normalcy. I think two weeks from now, two months, speaking for myself and students I've talked to. It's going to be a long time until someone answers the door right away. It's going to be a long time before someone walks alone at night again. It's going to be a long time before uh, someone goes without taking great safety precautions. Uh, the level of fear and apprehension um, is still there and will remain. And Lombardi was focused on supporting the students. The success such as it was that we had in managing that process uh, owes everything to the, the total commitment of faculty, staff, students, community, police, everybody in that area who focused on getting this right, trying to make it okay for the students and trying to support them and make whatever changes we need to make, but, but do it in the best possible way. I mean, during that period, every, every issue that would normally be contentious in a university, of which there are endless numbers, as I'm sure you know, uh, they all disappeared. They just disappeared. Nobody talked about them. Nobody was interested in them. None of those issues were of any concern while they were focused on trying to support students. And attitude lasted over most of that semester. How did the campus keep going? The university, of course, is, is permanent and endless, you know, and, and it rolls because it's that kind of an institution. And, and so each, each semester, a new semester starts and, and we don't inherit um, the direct challenges of the past semester. We understand them, we, we may uh, have changed a lot of behavior. So there, there were some consequences, but the institution just uh, kept going because it's there to serve the students and you serve the students by doing what it is your job is. And your job is to educate students, to help them uh, uh, construct their lives for the future. And so that's what happened when the students all came back uh, changed those who were there, surely. I mean, nobody who was there will ever forget, uh, you know, that, that period, uh, especially the early weeks of, of the semester. Not, none of us will ever uh, be without that memory. And Spencer Mann, a former lieutenant at the Alachua County Sheriff's Office who worked the murders, even asked UF students what they knew about the 1990 student murders while he was teaching at the university years later. Many of these students had no idea these murders happened in their city. There's a whole population, University of Florida students, that have no idea what took place. When I served as an adjunct lecturer, 
uh, one of the assignments I used to give is tell me everything you can find out about the student murders in Gainesville and a lot of them had no idea. When we've had remembrances over the years, such as at the 34th Street Wall or the trees that were planted by Library East, uh, uh, people would walk by and, uh, and ask questions about what are you all talking about. So uh, there is a whole generation that has come and gone in one respect, and, uh, and you have a lot of students now that have no idea what took place. What can get lost in the story of a serial killer is the victims' lives they took. Their family and friends will get to know the five young people left behind through their loved ones' memories. It was just a, a sense of comfort and confidence in who she was, that she could kind of let love flow out of her without worrying about whether it was ever going to come back. That's next time on Four Days, Five Murders. You've been listening to Four Days, Five Murders, a production of the Innovation News Center at the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. I'm your host, Camille Respis. This episode was reported by Gabriella Mercurio, Audrey Mostek, Madison Soriano, and me, Camille Respis. This episode was edited by Gabriella Mercurio. Our producers are Josh Williams and Katie Heisen. Executive producers are Moni Basu and Ryan Vasquez. And thank you to the friends and families of the victims who shared their stories with us.